Hey everyone, this is Jason, host of Local Color. A quick note, my guest references an episode of her show that at the time of recording this episode was not out yet. Aaron's interview with Billy B is out now. Find Scandalous Beauty on iTunes or listen online, scandalousbeautyonline.com. So do you think that uh, for cosmetics and makeup, there's like ages, like golden age and dark age and such like that? Like, Where do you think we're at with makeup right now? This is the damn dark age. It's just overboard. It just, it just makes me cringe. Hey everyone, I'm Jason V. This is Local Color, a show about the local color that makes Baltimore great. Today's guest is Erin Bainham, a former makeup artist who put down her brushes and picked up a pen, then a microphone. Erin's the host of the Scandalous Beauty podcast, where she interviews world-renowned makeup artists. Like fashion, makeup goes through trends, and for Erin and one other makeup artist, makeup is trending downwards. We'll learn about Erin's struggle for acceptance as a kid, makeup as a rite of passage for girls and young ladies, how Scandalous Beauty started out as a blog, and why that squiggly eyebrow trend was honestly trash. Stay tuned. Who is Erin? By day, I am a social media manager for the Maryland Institute College of Art. But by night, on the weekends, I am a podcaster. And what's the name of your podcast? My podcast is Scandalous Beauty, and it's a makeup and beauty podcast. Where is she from? Baltimore City. I grew up a couple of minutes from Canton. That's home, uh, Fells Point, all that. And I ended up moving to Anne Arundel County when I was like 12. Anne Arundel County still feels a little bit more like home than anything else. But that's home sweet home, yeah. What Did you move out to Anne Arundel County for school or just because your family wanted to move? We lived in the city just because my parents are city people. They grew up in the city. That's what they knew. But they always worked in the county. So I'd always gone to school in the county. I went to school um, in Glen Burnie Elementary School. I went to high school in Severn. And it was I'd, I'd just always been going to school there. They're like, we might as well move. Aaron's the oldest of three and loves her two brothers very much. When they were growing up, though, Aaron's brothers had a much easier time navigating the world. I definitely had issues with trying to be black enough. Um, and my brothers didn't have these issues. I realized they were cool. We went to all white schools. Mm-hmm. I was always like, you know, the token black girl. But I always wanted to be a little bit black. I wanted to prove my blackness to the white people. Right. I just It was sad. So um, I, I look back at that and I'm like, just Aaron, you should have just been yourself. You should have been yourself. You would have been fine. They never had any issues with it. They never even noticed. My friends mm-hmm. never noticed. Nobody ever noticed. Black identity is a precarious thing at younger ages. We do this weird thing of controlling access to blackness, going so far as to deny our own membership to a club they were born into. Aaron bested high school and went straight to college. The problem? I'm an awful student. I was more concerned about being a makeup artist than anything else, so... I did not do well in school, so I got kicked out. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Let's rewind the tape. How did Erin go from finishing high school to getting kicked out of college? When she first graduated high school, Erin had a specific plan for college. My goal was to go to an HBCU because I was like, I got to be around black people. I just need to know what I'm supposed to be about. So I went to Morgan for a year and that didn't work out I was just like mm, no nah, it's ain't gonna work so I went to Anne Arundel Community College for another couple of years 
From there, I went to University of Maryland College Park, which I just like, I just loved. I really, really loved it. But I'm an awful student. I was more concerned about being a makeup artist than anything else. So I did not do well in school. So I got kicked out. Erin was terrified of telling her family she got kicked out of school. And I didn't come out of my room and I was like crying all day. It was just awful. And by the time I told my parents, they were just like, mm. I mean, all I could <laughs> there was nothing more they could say. And um, that, that was basically it. So they're like, well, you need to work. You're not going to sit around the house and just mope around. So I got a job. Where was I? I was at a rental mill. I don't know. I've had so many jobs in that mall. So I worked there for a while and, and I went to community college and took classes here and there. And I tried so hard to get back in. Like I did all the paperwork. I did all the things. And I just I never got back in. Fortunately, Erin was able to finish her degree at UB. Erin admits her college experience was not the ideal route, but understands the value of a college degree and more so the value of hustle. I tell people all the time at, at the college that I work at, I'm like, the people that have jobs when they graduate are the ones that were active in school, the ones that sought out the internships, that worked with their faculty members, that volunteered. If you're a go-getter, you'll get a job and your teachers will put you on and, and people around campus will put you on. Mm -hmm. and, and that was the biggest thing. So I wish I had done more of that. Maybe if I had done that more, I would have been more invested in school. I don't know. I just wasn't invested. I just wanted to do makeup. When Erin was still in college, she started Scandalous Beauty, but it was a blog before a podcast. She wanted a place to put all the energy and excitement she had for makeup artistry and cosmetics. I basically started it because I needed an outlet to talk about all this makeup. And I knew that I loved blue eyeshadow or I loved green eyeshadow, but people weren't really doing it. And I'm like, well, let me just find a place to just take some pictures and talk about beauty. Scandalous Beauty has been like part of my life forever. I literally ended the blog in 2015 or 14 something like that and it just that was it was a hard thing to do but it was it was time as far as the blog goes it had been just part of like my dna towards the end of college and even after aaron started working at makeup counters i did work at a nordstrom i wanted to work for mac so badly didn't get accepted at mac so i ended up working at smashbox which was like not it was very west coast like very clean beauty but photo ready it's it's actually created by the people that started uh max factor was a makeup artist back in the day he had old makeup that's in the drugstores his grandsons have a photography studio they started smashbox so it's makeup for photography and it was not what i wanted but it was it was cool it got me in you know i could go to the mac counter and get my little swatches and play and after that i went to arundel mills and i worked at the cosmetic company store which sells since everybody's local, if you want Mac discounted, Bobby Brown, all those different uh, brands that Estee Lauder owns, they have a store at Arundel Mills. So I worked there for like a year. That was like my way in. I got to test everything, play with everything. It was amazing. After working in Arundel Mills, Erin moved to a smaller, locally owned business and learned more about herself than she did makeup. Oyen Handmade. I worked in Baltimore doing... Um, just making working in the production kitchen at Oyen and that was amazing because Jamila and Pierre Benu taught me about blackness in a different way like they were New Yorkers they're from Brooklyn like they're used to like dancing all night to like music that I don't understand and want want to understand they were that Afrocentric piece that I like needed in my life they let me do social media for them Aaron had moved away from makeup towards social media because professionally I sucked like I was not a good makeup artist and that let me further know I need to stick to the journalistic side of things because I I just wasn't great at it. 
Erin continued doing social media for Oyin, then the Travel Channel and National Geographic until she was hired at MICA, where she works as their current social media strategist. Erin realized her passion for makeup when she was in college, but that passion had been inside her since childhood. When you were growing up, was makeup seen as like something only a grown woman could uh, experiment with and play with? Because I know for some women and... Uh, I guess, like for some women that are mothers and then women that I know that are not mothers, you know what I mean? They're growing up like, my mom wouldn't let me wear makeup until I was this age. So what was that experience like? Exactly that. I mean, you know, I always looked up to my mom. Like I thought my mom sounded like Anita Baker when she sang to me because I was like a child. But then when I grew up, I was like, mom. You gotta stop. You gotta stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, she still sounds beautiful, but she's not Anita. And it was the same thing with makeup. Like my mom always had like a fierce red lip. That probably nowadays really ain't all that fierce. But my mom always just looked fly to me. And it was in sixth grade, seventh grade. She's like, listen, I know you want to wear eyeliners like the white girls at school. You're not doing that. And that's not for you. She's like, when you get a little older, then you can wear it. But she knew I was really obsessed with it. So she would let me go to the library and get books about makeup. And I read the books like a lot. Like I just love to see. And, you know, it's so dated. I mean, it's like wear a tawny blusher or rouge. Like it was like old, <laughs> like old school stuff. Yeah. But it was so fascinating to me. So I didn't really wear makeup until sophomore year in high school, maybe. And that's when it all... That's, that's, when, that's when it all started? Game over. <laughs> game over. So when your mom told you that you couldn't wear makeup at that time, what is the reasoning behind that? Is it because makeup makes you look more grown or what is it? That, that's pretty much what I think it is. Um, you'll start to see like a big difference when you see like the little girls that have no makeup on and then they put that makeup on and then they look like grown women. And it just, it just, it's just, it's too much. For many women, the beauty that makeup brings is a rite of passage, something earned and not given. I remember thinking, okay, well, I'm 15 now. I should be able to put on a little mascara to like make my eyes pop. And those are the things that once I got to high school or even like shaving my legs, like my mom always taught me and my mom gets really pro-black about some things. She's always like, um, she's like, black women don't shave their legs. And I said, oh. Uh, that didn't make sense to me. I'm like, it's hair on my legs. She was like, when you're 16, you could start to do it. So I'm like, okay. And because I was 16, then I, you know, then right. I went for it. But that's just, age definitely had a factor in, in beauty for me. So I'm across. just curious, why don't black women shave their legs? I don't know. Okay. I, think that's, I think that's something. I, see, I think that's something that women that grew up in the 70s yeah. said. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. As a mother to both a, a boy and a girl, mm -hmm. what conversations will you have with them? Because I feel like you also kind of have to have a conversation with the boys and say, hey, listen, like these girls look grown, but they're just children like you. That, oh, that. <laughs> it terrifies me like really? the thought of having a little black boy terrifies because i'm thinking about like how i i mean i was just a girl but i can think about myself in middle school and high school and what my thought process i just i can't i just can't um for the nine-year-old i have to tell her all the time like we'll go to the store she's like hey can i put on some of your lip gloss i'm like no she's like but but it's in your room you already have it i'm like i don't care like you should not be walking around in lip gloss especially not like a 
$30 NARS lip gloss. Like, if anything, <laughs> go put on your chapstick. That's what, right. that's what little children do. And that's fine. Wear the chapstick. So she enjoys being able to play in the makeup just to, to you know, swatch it on her finger or, or her hand and say, like, I love this color. That mm-hmm. should be it. Now, where we have the issues is when she goes into my room and starts to play with my stuff without my permission. Because I found brushes that are caked with, you know, product. Mm. And she's like, I don't know how that got there. Right. And like, I do. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. She's like, sometimes she says, how do you know it's me? I'm like, I would never put my foundation on my blush brush. You got to learn if you're going to sneak. Just like what I would sneak to like drink our parents liquor. We knew how to make it work. Like you, you, you weren't thinking that through all the way. <laughs> Bless our heart. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I continue my conversation with Aaron Bainham. I'm Jason V. This is Local Color. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Local Color. I'm Jason V. Before the break, my guest Aaron Bainham explained how she came into the world of makeup. Her mother slowly eased her into it, and by the time she was in college, it was a full-blown love affair. As she got older, though, Aaron's love of makeup and artistry didn't line up with her skill level. Simply put, she was a bad makeup artist. However, she also started her scandalous beauty blog in college and found she had a knack for the journalistic side of makeup and beauty. She ended the scandalous beauty blog in 2011 and turned it into a podcast where she interviews makeup artists. A lot of her interviews have her talking shop with makeup artists who've done celebrity makeup and are well known in the makeup world. As a journalist, Erin tries her best not to let her opinion influence the conversation, Lately, though, Aaron's been feeling some type of way about the makeup game. This is my issue with makeup nowadays. Like people have taken, people are doing drag makeup in everyday life. And to me, it's a little extra. So is that to say that they're applying a lot of makeup? Yes. Oh, okay. I so, see. Yeah. So drag techniques, um, the highlighting and contouring, all of that that you're seeing nowadays it's drag makeup. That is how men made themselves look like women on stage. And now girls are doing that every day just right. to leave the house, you know? And it's come to a point where we don't know what people really look like because they're doing all of these things. Mm. Baking is drag. <laughs> now, you may think Aaron's opinion of Fuego take, but she's not the only one who feels this way. Recently, she interviewed makeup artist Billy B, who echoed Aaron's sentiment about makeup today. Simply put, where do you think we're at with makeup right now? This is the damn dark age. Aaron points the finger at questionable trends and the, quote, drag makeup to the grocery store, unquote, mentality. There was one makeup trend I noticed and wanted to know Aaron's opinion. I kept on seeing this thing where women, they would put makeup on and then they would put like gold stuff on the tip of their nose. I would, <laughs> I would be talking to women that had it and I'm just like, why is her nose so shiny? <laughs> you touched a pain point really? <laughs> right in my chest because I I loathe it with every bit of my soul. Not one to knock something before she tried it, Erin tried the gold nose technique to see if she was just being a hater. I tried it just to see if it was all in my head. I'm like, well, maybe it doesn't look as bad as I think it does. <laughs> and I tried it. I was like, this shit looks so stupid. Like, I don't understand. Nope. Still dumb. Gold nose is a technique that has its place in makeup. It's just not when you're going to drop stuff off at Goodwill. Erin explains. It works if you are, A, doing drag. Drag, makeup, anything goes. But aside from that, if you are on stage. So the point of that is if you're on stage, Janet Jackson's makeup artist, 
he showed me this trick like a minute ago. He was like, yeah, I always put a little bit of highlight down Janet's nose so that when you see her on stage, no matter where she goes, you know, you can see the reflection and it just pop. I don't know why we're doing that every day. We're doing that every day because all the world's a stage, right? Aaron's internal rage aside, she also blames certain reality stars for the rise of getting beat to the gods for your emissions test. The two things that changed makeup, this is my hypothesis, is the Housewives of Atlanta because they were the first time that we as black women saw makeup in that way. Like women going to the store, they had lashes on, they had full eyeshadow from brow, oh, you know, okay. a, a, a sharp brow with concealer underneath. Like so for, that's the first time we really saw it all the time. And the other thing was Kim Kardashian. I mean, she's the first person that we really saw had a highlight and contour everywhere she went. And we we're like, how do we get that look? And then we were introduced to it and then we tried it. And then the envelope just, you know, kept getting pushed and pushed. And now we're now we're this, here, sadly. <laughs> but some women get it. Some women know, like, just put on a little concealer, mm-hmm. do your brows, make a lip. You know, just you still want to look like yourself. You should still see your skin. You should still right. see who you really are. Okay, so do you feel like the whole idea behind slaying and stuff like that is, is that what's wrong with makeup, or is it like is it is it getting reaching an excessive point? Or are we at the excessive point? It's just so excessive. There's a time and place for all of it. So I will say the stuff that I see on Instagram and stuff is how I wanted to look when I went to the club, just because it was me and my girls. And that was my time to be able to go out, get drunk, meet some dudes, hand out my number and just be extra with everything. Mm -hmm. But teaching people to look like this, I don't want to say all the time, because I do believe that some people know that, you know, they're not going to look like this when they go to work or, you know, some might though. I've definitely seen them. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you did it. You you, you did it. <laughs> Why are you doing it? As we continue talking, the conversation shifted from the dark ages of makeup to the psychology of makeup and social media. Instagram and Twitter have given us instant, unlimited access to anything with a hashtag. And with those hashtags, people can build communities around them. Makeup as an idea is based in visually appealing images, and some use Instagram to validate themselves and feed their ego. So do you think for social media platforms like Instagram has led to just an overt sexualization of women? Yes. I'm like, (laughs) why? I don't know at this point why. I mean, people always have something to prove. People are, again, I think are so, you know, there's, there's scientific research about how getting likes like raises your endorphin levels like you know all of that type of stuff so i'm always surprised when people try to have a photo that's basically like an ass shot i'm like oh you're doing that for that wasn't purely for you that was for us that was for your ex that might be following you or the next man you want to meet or woman or whatever a beauty podcaster and a social media strategist aaron understands and sees firsthand how social media morphs and changes she also sees what it does to the minds of those on the platform, though she has a biased view of it all. I've always been in a relationship with the same guy pretty much since social has come out in this way. So maybe if I were on a different path, maybe I would have been that girl too. I don't know. You would have had the thirst traps. But it's a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> the arrival of social media has brought the art of attention seeking to a global scale. Viral videos spread like wildfire, and we curse ourselves every day for not starting that meme account when we should have, and now you're stuck behind a desk instead of being an influencer. These are very first-world problems, though Aaron has more concerns about the future and their relationship with social media. 
there is pressure when we didn't even have cell phones. Like I can't imagine the pressure now. So if you're a girl with no boobs and your homegirl with boobs has got them out and she getting all these likes, like it's, well, I want them too. Or, you know, it's just, I mean, everyday life. I mean, even watching Cardi B and if you're following her or if you're following Kim Kardashian or all these girls that got have these, you know, these bodies and you're like, I want a body like that. I'm like, one, they paid good money for those bodies. Mm-hmm. You may or may not know that. And, you know, little girl, that doesn't mean your body has to look like that for you to feel beautiful or be beautiful. Social media compounds the pressure of being a teenager into a near unbearable force. Young minds that are still molding have 24 hour access to the world at large and every day are influenced by society's idea of who they should be instead of who they are. We can't acknowledge the ass shots and thirst traps without acknowledging the celebrities and brands who understand that social media is a tool and not a life. In an interview with Sam Fine on Scandalous Beauty, the renowned makeup artist admitted he didn't spend that much time on social media. That interview was really like groundbreaking for me because he's so respected and he he's done all the black OGs like across the board. And I thought it was very interesting for him to say that and very powerful for him to say, I don't follow a bunch of people because I can't have that stuff in my life. And I I loved that. Now, the interview that we're about to do that's going to be different <laughs> I'm, I'm still like oh my god I have my face is red just thinking about it because this man is very very outspoken Sam Fine is very you know he's together he's not going to say too much he won't give you too many reads but Billy B on the other hand was like look you guys are putting too much shit on your faces if you think we respect you we don't remember listeners at the time I interviewed Aaron her episode with Billy B wasn't out yet and it's out now both parts scandalousbeautyonline.com In addition to Sam Fine's avoidance of social media and Billy B's fervent fatwa on the dark age of makeup, Aaron believes another well-known and well-respected beauty blogger has their head in the right place. Queen Jackie, 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 Jackie. Yeah, she's just, I mean, she's Jackie. She's dope. But she's one of the few people that gets it. She knows when to turn it on and turn it off. Mm-hmm. And that is why I love her. Jackie Ina is synonymous with beauty blogging, but women of color in that space wasn't as common as it is today. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, Aaron discusses women of color in the mid-2000s blogosphere and gives expert social media advice because she's a social media strategist. This is Local Color. I'm Jason V. Stay tuned. Hey, if you're just joining us, I'm Jason V. This is Local Color. My guest Aaron Bainham has been beauty blogging since the mid-2000s when blogs were the closest thing we had to social media. As a black woman, though, Aaron was an exception to the rule. The rule was mostly white women were on WordPress or Blogger writing about their makeup experiences. There were like five or six of us that I knew of and that we became cool because it was like, you know, we're the only ones in the space YouTube was different, I think, when we started. Well, that was, I started relatively early. So I started in 2008 doing YouTube and there were only a handful of us there. And that's what made, that's pretty much what got my quote unquote name out there because I was like one of those, I'm not tooting my own horn. I was just, I wanted to talk about the basics of makeup. And I wanted to say, hey, this is like the irony is that I made a video talking about 
brown girls being scared of color. We weren't wearing red lipstick because people said it looks like you're on a church or because, you know, it's just too old lady. And I'm like, you can wear red lipstick. You just got to know how to wear it. Or you can wear blue eyeshadow. You just have to know how. And I remember urging people, begging people, please try color. Stop just wearing brown. And now it's just like, good God. Earlier in the interview, Erin talked about her journey from amateur makeup artist to social media strategist at MICA. If you live in the Baltimore area, MICA is synonymous with art. On the East Coast, even, students come from all over to roam MICA's colorful halls and make you wait even longer at the stoplight of Mount Royal and Lafayette. Erin talks about how she got started at MICA. I've been working in higher ed at Hopkins, the School of Education, and I just needed to get like I just needed to get out and it's stuffy and it's boring and it's Hopkins and everybody's like I just want to you know a 5.8 GPA and mm-hmm. wear polo they're just <laughs> just completely boring to me and I saw a position opening and I'm like I have to get in over there so I mean I just basically applied and you know when I when I got there I remember meeting my boss and she's like a, a white woman with white hair but she had like a strike striking magenta lip and she had like this like this fabulous outfit that you would never be able to wear at Hopkins and I just remember seeing students you know with green hair and they just look like they were living their best lives not the way that I see it on Instagram but like living like just living and I'm like this has got to be it so um I love it like I love it even though Aaron loves waking up for work it's still a job as social media strategist Aaron's seen firsthand the evolution of social media. Back then, before, you know, everything was in chronological order, things were like, if you followed somebody, you were going to see their content. Nowadays, I mean, you got to hope and pray people see your content, which nine times out of ten, they don't. So it's trying to create the most engaging content. Try to make sure your calls to action are um, interesting enough. You have to really hit it out of the park with video and make sure you don't have like whack video like before you know, everybody was seeing it. Um, so nowadays I just, I think social media has become, uh, what is the word? Social for me has been a labor of love. A labor of love because before when social media was young, it was fun. There wasn't an algorithm to beat and everyone was experimenting, trying to find their own formula for success. There were also no flat tummy tea ads, at least I don't think so. Aaron's advice for people looking to step up their social media game is to find your platform and stick with it. If you're a photographer, obviously you want to use IG. IG's good for podcasting as well, though Aaron has advice for other platforms. I say as a podcaster, I think the best place for podcasters that want to befriend other podcasters are the two places are Facebook groups because there are like so many great Facebook groups for us. And then there is Twitter. Like I feel like Twitter is like perfect for podcasters really yes that's interesting because i am not on twitter at all get on it really when i say podcasts in color Mm -hmm. that is a community that it is ongoing it it moves all day every day social media's ubiquitous nature is apparent though how it's used across generations sometimes proves a challenge to aaron my job now is to figure out how to engage the 15, 16, 17 year olds who are in an entirely different world. I mean, they're just like on another planet. I, yeah, my family came to visit from Florida. They have a 16 year old daughter and I just, I don't understand anything at all. It's the, it's the worst having to market to them. Like it's like terrible. Cause I don't understand <laughs> their thought. Pro- you, you just never will. You never will. If you're looking for likes and engagement on your content, Aaron's got you covered. I had heard at one point that you need to get 
as much interaction as possible in the first like 10 minutes that you post. And if people like your stuff in the first 10 minutes and they're like liking and commenting, then it gets blasted out to even more people and even more people. And it's like getting at that base. This is why people have like Instagram pods where it's like, Hey, I just posted, you need to, it's, are you familiar with those nope. at all? <laughs> okay. So this is, I mean, this is people trying to defeat the algorithm. So there are Facebook, like, um, let's say in a Facebook group, people are saying, I'm going to start an Instagram pod. We're going to all have an Instagram chat. Basically. I'm going to tell you all when I post, as soon as I post, I need you to like it, comment on it, you know, engage with it as much as possible. A whole bunch of people are liking and commenting on your stuff that makes it seem so much more engaging than what it probably really was. And then it gets out to even more people because the algorithm says, Ooh, people like, like your this content. Is hot. Yeah. Then I'll blast it out to more people. So engagement pods are, really big engagement pod yeah so they do that there facebook youtube is the same way people have um youtube groups that are like you know put your latest post here you have to watch all the posts uh, all the videos in this thread today you have to make sure you like it and you have to share it and that needs to be done in the first 24 hours after it comes out and then that helps build it up in the youtube algorithm it's it's just the algorithms have taken the social out of social because you have to you're thinking about science almost mm -hmm. nonstop. Now that Aaron's given you the lowdown on engagement pods, the algorithm and platform choice for your medium, you've still got more work to do for genuine real life human engagement. Hashtags, while they are crucial, they are also the perfect bait to have spammers come from out of nowhere. You will get so many spammers that know to follow the hashtags, too. Mm -hmm. So all of the engagement is not always genuine engagement and you just have to be mindful of that. And then you have the, the people that do the follow for follow thing. And sure. I've never, I mean to this day, and I hate to be like vain about Instagram, but I've definitely noticed that I'm hitting like a, a benchmark. I'm, I'm, I'm close to 8,000 followers. But the thing is I never hit it because I'll get a wave of people one side. So people are slick. I mean, they've, they figured this out. So it's like when I go and follow somebody that's like a big deal, these spammy weird people realize I follow them. So they follow me hoping I'll follow them. And once I don't do it, then they all kind of go away. So some days like I'll hit like 8,004 and then I'll go down to like 79, like 90. And it just never, I've never hit it. Mm -hmm. And the only reason I know it is because it's such a, like a, a kind of benchmark type number. What's just the best advice you could give to somebody who wants to increase their social media presence or just get, you know, get more followers. Yeah. I would say know where your audience is because a lot of times I think we're trying so hard to be everywhere and our audience isn't everywhere. So if you have a Facebook page, you know, Mark Zuckerberg just said, Hey, I'm not going to let pages show up on your feed much longer. It's just going to be about friends, family, personal engagement. So maybe that means you just need to, you can't use engagement bait. So you can't say like, Hey, I just did this. Here's my link. Follow it. Blah, blah, blah. That won't work either. But you just have to have those genuine engagements. And maybe that's when you're just more personal with your friends and family. Maybe then, I mean, my Facebook page is literally for the world. I have like 5,000 friends because it's people that follow my blog, you know, like, and we just, and we just talk and mm -hmm. it's genuine and they feel like they know me and I feel like I know them. And, and that's just that. So I would say find that, platform that you know really speaks to you i would do like two platforms maybe three at the most but find that one and just kill it in that one because your audience will grow if you put your energy into that like one place yeah um it's definitely about consistency so you basically have to post like almost daily Sounds like you're talking about podcasting at 
that it's all the same. <laughs> it is all the same. Yeah. This is the crazy part. Head over to ScandalousBeautyOnline.com and listen to Aaron's episode with makeup artists Billy B and Sam Fine, and maybe don't do a halo eyebrow or a squiggly eyebrow this year. If you want to learn more about Aaron and find her on social media, I'm on Instagram at Aaron Bainum, Twitter Aaron Bainum, Facebook Aaron Bainum. I'm everywhere Aaron Bainum. YouTube I'm Scandalous Beauty as well. Today's episode of Local Color was written, produced, narrated, edited, and published by me, Jason V. Follow Local Color on Instagram at Local Color Podcast. You can also like Local Color on Facebook. Head to Local Color's website, localcolorpodcast.com, where you can listen to the entire catalog. Also, please subscribe to Local Color on iTunes to get those push notifications when new episodes drop. Thanks for listening. I'm Jason V, and I'll be back with more Local Color.